Great to have you with us on Finishing Well Ministries podcast today. Usually Randy Hess and myself, I'm Hal Habecker, are discussing a lot of issues on finishing well in terms of life, what we do, what God wants us to do in our aging years. He does have a plan for us. But one of the great things about finishing well and life is that God uses other people in amazing ways to help us on this journey. And I want to do something today uh, we've not done before, but we want to get into more of in the coming months is interviewing people as illustrations of what it looks like to finish life well and to live life well in our aging years. Our mission at Finish Well Ministry is to help each other, encourage each other to understand and live out what God's plan is for us in our aging or our elder years. And really, that's a lifelong process, as we'll hear this morning. But our guest this morning is a very special friend, Dr. Joe McElhaney. And I want you to learn to know him this morning. And our first podcast is going to be two podcasts back to back. I want you to just learn to know a little bit who he is. And we're going to tell a little bit of his story. So good morning, Joe. It's great to have you here with us this morning. Hi, Al. I'm honored. Thank you for having me. We have a long history. Uh, As we were saying, I think uh, we've known each other for about 40 years. And we don't want to go into all that. But I do want our hearers, our listeners, uh, to get to know Joe. So, uh, Joe, uh, just a little biographical sketch. Uh, where'd you grow up? How did you trust Christ? Just the early years of your life in a few sentences. Well, Hal, uh, as you've asked me to do this, and I was thinking about it, uh, and you say that people have come into your lives that have aided you and helped you, um, I, it's made me think of, of so many people. You're one of them because You've known me almost half my life. I am 86 now. 86, I think I I fit your group uh, that you're encouraging. So I hope uh, that I can lay out some of the story that that, uh, has made me what I am today and where I am today. I was born in Lubbock, Texas uh, to Christian parents, went to the First Baptist Church in Lubbock. There are only two kind of churches there, almost Church of Christ or Baptist. We were in Baptist church. But uh, anyway, that's where, and when I was nine years old, I realized I had been mean to my little brother and I wanted to be saved. And I came to Jesus and I I remember that and it was real. And it's uh, carried on in my life to the present. Um, lived in Lubbock all the way through college. In fact, I lived at home I, uh, through college. My dad, by in retirement, had started an egg business. And so my brother and I go out and fill the hoppers for those 50,000 laying eggs every morning before we went off to class and came back and then uh, went to medical school, uh, started in 57 and finished that in 61 and internship at Jefferson Davis Hospital after finishing Baylor Medical School. Um, And then went to Air Force for two years in Del Rio, Texas, Laughlin Air Force Base. And then came back into what I thought I wanted to do is pediatrics, but uh, after nine months in pediatrics, I realized I couldn't do anything. I like fixing things. And so I switched over to OBGYN and finished an OBGYN residency in there at Baylor. Just a little bit about your family. Uh, I know your wife, but introduce us to her and your family and uh, the years you were in practice there in Austin, Texas. Well, I, I met Marion on a blind date in 59 and then uh, realized this 
was just an absolutely incredible woman. She was from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and uh, she had uh, moved to Houston after just finishing Baylor. Uh, she came straight to Houston and got a job teaching because she wanted to be under the ministry of, uh, of Colonel R.B. Theme at Brackett Church. Now, back in those days, he was solid. Um, an undergraduate from Dallas Theological Seminary and so forth. And as a matter of fact, she wanted to be under his ministry because she'd been at a wedding that he had performed of a, of a, of a friend there in Houston. Said, I'm coming back to Houston. She was that kind of, of woman. She was con con committed to doing that. Um, so uh, I met her within weeks of her arriving in Houston. And the way we dated was to go to, to Baraka Church on Sunday morning, Sunday night. His classes during the week, and I was a, a senior, well, a junior medical student during the years we dated. Senior medical student after we got married on, in uh, 1960, um, and that's where that, that was the first real big influence she had in my life because that's where I really committed my life to Christ. I, I was a believer before that, but it, but He became uh, my Lord at that time, and uh, that was under Marion's influence. And then we had three daughters. We uh, finished residency uh, there in '68. Uh, moved to Austin to go into private practice. They wanted me to stay there on the faculty at Baylor, but I just wanted to get out of there. I wanted to go start practice, and so I did that. Uh, started in 1968. By that time, we had three daughters, three wonderful daughters, uh, Lynn, Ann, and Karen. And so we moved there with the three kids and with the wife to start a, a practice. Started cold. Just joined a, a fella. We didn't incorporate our practice. We just uh, traded call and we're in the same office with each other. That's great, Joe. Uh, I know your history. Uh, you and Mary were both keen believers. And you really, the church was really part of your life. And I don't want you to talk about that as much, but how in the world did you get interested in becoming a part of the Christian Medical Society? And that's where you and I met. <laughs> so you have this avocation as a Christian physician that becomes a dominant force in your life. Tell us how that developed. Well, as I said, I was a, I was a committed believer, um, and uh, but that didn't have anything to do, I guess, with my uh, going to Deer Valley Guest Ranch as the Wrangler. I was uh, there at Deer Valley. Some of the people listening might know of it, but it's a, a dude ranch there in Colorado near, uh, near Salida and, and Buena Vista. Uh, but the, the winter before, our associate dean had had some of us come up there and ski and stay in his cabin. And they, I'd done that. And they said, we need a wrangler. I said, I'll be your wrangler. Uh, just because I'm tall and from Texas, I thought I knew horses. I didn't. Uh, there's a long story there, but we, which we don't have time for. But at any rate, so I, I, I went to that, uh, to Deer Valley yesterday and said, summer before I met Marion, actually, in 59. And um all of a sudden, all these Christian doctors start showing up. And I'm saying, what is this? Well, it's a Christian Medical Dental Society summer retreat. Uh, and so I met a bunch of these doctors, Gus Hemwall. As a matter of fact, he helped me de-skunk a skunk, which I called Gus when I took it back to Houston as a pet. Uh, and it just, it was astounding. I mean, we didn't have a chapter of that uh, organization at Baylor. Uh, but it, I became an, an active, I guess I'd say an active member of that organization. It really had a lot of influence. And then later on, uh, when I was uh, coming up to, this is much later on, you can tell 
people when, if you want to, how. But I started coming up here to be on the Minerth and Meyer. I was sort of the Minerth and Meyer uh, radio show gynecologist. I'd come up once a month and be on their program. And then after I got through with that program, I'd come over to your office, Hal, you and, and Ed Bloom. And we spent a lot of time visiting at that time. That's where we sort of actually got to spend a lot of time together, I think. So with that interest, you, you developed a special interest in a Christian mindset in the world of your practice. And you developed an organization out of that eventually. Yeah. Tell us about how that happened and what that emphasis was. Well, you know, I was a Christian physician, and and um, I, I think I was known around the Austin community as a Christian physician, and uh, I, I think I could have done more as far as praying for my patients, evangelism, but, but uh, you know, there certainly I had all my staff were committed Christians, and I think we did have an influence on people that way, but um, what happened with me during that time that has affected the rest of my life, even to today, was that in my, I, I did, I was not a reproductive endocrinologist because we didn't have those back when I was in training back uh, in residency up to 1968 when I quit. But uh, Bob Franklin was a, an internationally known infertility guy there at Baylor who was my mentor. And so I started doing infertility work immediately when I started practice. So uh, this carried on all the way into starting the in vitro fertilization program. Um, there's questions about whether that was really the thing to do, but we did not throw embryos away. We only would fertilize the number of eggs that the lady would let us put back in her uterus. Um, and, uh, but when we laparoscope these ladies, we'd see their fallopian tubes just destroyed by infection. We realized it was chlamydia uh, in the people that could afford infertility care, sometimes gonorrhea, but mostly chlamydia. And nobody had told these girls back in high school or college that their sexual activity back then could cause them later on when married to be infertile. Nobody. Uh, matter of fact, in setting up our in vitro program, we had lots and lots of meetings around the country with people learning how to do that. They never talked about prevention. Everybody's excited about doing the procedures and the technology, but nobody was talking about preventing it. Everybody knew that the most common reason back then, if the woman was infertile partner in the couple, was sexually transmitted damage to their fallopian tubes. Wow. So I just started speaking out about that. And I got to be on Dr. Dobson's program a lot, and we would talk about that, and then I'd get calls at the office. And I, I was a gynecologist. I was really busy. Uh, so I decided to set up this organization. And so in 1992, I started the Medical Institute for Sexual Health just to take that off my plate. And uh, let the staff over there answer all these questions. Well, all that did was make me look like an expert in sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> and and so in 95, Mary and I felt like God was just dragging, dragging us out of practice. And so we left practice in 95 and uh, went full-time with the Medical Institute. Wow, it's amazing. I remember those days. And you also uh, joined the Physicians Council of Focus on the Family with Jim Dobson, if I remember as well, right? Yeah, I was a charter member of that, along with Tom Fitch and a bunch of other uh, wonderful Christian physicians. Yeah. So this is important to me because as we work to fulfill God's plan in our aging years, part of it is how has God worked in your past and what has he done in your life? What are your skills? What are your abilities? So God is doing something in your life that you're, in a sense, not totally aware of. 
You're just following him and something's happened. There's a plan that's unfolding, right? Yeah, Hal. And when you mention the influence other people have and the help that other people give, I have to talk about my wife, Marion, a little bit more. Uh, she was an amazing woman. Uh, she had a presence. When she would walk into a room, her smile lit the room up. People were, particularly women, were just drawn to her. Uh, and she, unknown to those people, was having an incredible influence on my life. Uh, for example, when we were going to leave practice, uh, she knew that we weren't going to get paid much. And matter of fact, she said, well, after we uh, go to the medical institute, will we ever get to go out to eat again? And yet she never complained about that. She taught me uh, to stop speaking in double negative. She taught me to be on time. She taught me to be a friend. She taught me uh, you know, her example of teaching, because she taught big women's Bible studies, I think helped me be able to speak in front of groups and, and even to do things like this without stumbling all over myself. Uh, she was just an incredible woman. She then developed Alzheimer's uh, and uh, died after about 14 years. She died three and a half years ago, which was a huge loss to me. But, uh, you know, her commitment to Jesus Christ was enormous and it affected and encouraged me in my walk, too, even now, knowing that she's with Jesus. And I'll get to be there with her one of these days. I was fortunate to know her, Joe, and I would echo everything you said about her. She was just a vivacious, godly Christian woman who uh, just brought everything to life around her. Very much like your wife, Nikki. Well, they are the same, I think. Uh, <laughs> and she helps me in the same yeah, way. I know. Joe, we got into it a little bit. Talk more about her uh, battle with Alzheimer's and just going through that, a short synopsis of that. Well, in about 2008, uh, the, our three daughters and I realized that she was forgetting things, which is very, because she was so bright and um, memorized scripture and stuff. Um, and so we talked and realized that uh, something was going on. Um, so I talked to her about getting tested. Um, and she, at first, it was a, sort of the only time she was ever, she said, I don't like y'all talking about me. And I don't see any reason we're getting tested, but I kept talking to her and she willingly went and it showed that she had um, a minim minimal cognitive dysfunction, uh, but actually it was Alzheimer's. And so her, her progress was a typical Alzheimer's progress, so much so that by 2010, she could drive, but she just couldn't figure out where to go or how to get there. Uh, and so we moved here to to Dallas because I, I was still involved with the Medical Institute. Um, I was actually at that time um, finishing a book called Hooked that I would encourage people to get. It's really a pretty neat book about the brain and how it functions. Um, and uh, so we moved up here because I could continue to do what work I did uh, for the Medical Institute uh, long distance. Uh, because we have a daughter up here, we had no family in Austin. And so she gradually deteriorated. We got here in 2010. We lived independent. Uh, in this retirement home for four years, and she had to go to memory care for two years, uh, and then uh, to health care, which is basically a nursing home, all in the same facility, which is why we came to the legacy here at Willoughby and uh, our legacy here in, in Plano. But, you know, Marion, she, I, I, I know it, I don't know how to put this. She was smiling the whole time. She smiled even those last 10 days when she wasn't eating or drinking anything. And I know that. Committed Christian men and women will get belligerent and mean. And I don't 
think just because she was a Christian that she was sweet, but I also think because she was a Christian, she was sweet all that all through those years. I just loved being with her. I continued feeding her breakfast every morning until she died. Uh, we'd go over and sit with her, and we'd turn on a, a movie or something, watch that. I and held hands, and I just loved her. I I, I don't understand. I don't want to be critical, but. I don't quite understand how guys or ladies who have somebody with that problem can can leave their loved one. Because to me, that was one of the most rewarding periods of my life with Marion, was being able to serve her all those years. That's powerful, Joe. You know, many people question God in hard circumstances, tragedies of Alzheimer's and things that happen like that. Talk to me about how God sustained you and Marion and your family during those trying years. And they had to be trying. They were trying in the sense that, yeah, you hated to see this happen. It caused disruption of where we were living in Austin, where we had many, many friends and helped start two churches. Uh, but in another sense, and it's hard to explain this, I guess, to people, but uh, I could see God through this whole thing in allowing me to be with her and serve her as she had served me for so many years. And so in that sense, it really wasn't this despondent problem that I had to live with all the time. I got to live with Marion, and, and we had the privilege of being in a place where she could be well taken care of. And I knew that she was well taken care of because I was over there with her all the time and, you know, when she had to move out of the independent living. Um, the kids, I think it was really, it was probably harder on them because they weren't living with her as I was. Um, and they still, they all have kids and they all say, oh, well, I wish Mary and mom were here because she would just love being with our grandkids. And she would have. Um, so, you know, I think that if you really believe that God works in your life and has his plan for your life, as you talk about all the time, Hal, that that was God's plan in my life. I mean, none of us are going to get out of here without dying, are we? I mean, we get no, out of here by won't. dying. Uh, but I think in this whole uh, experience with Marion that I saw God working in my life particularly, but also in hers. Well, it seems to me that what you experienced and what you grew through during those challenging years is part of what God's plan is. All of us, in a sense, are searching for God's leading in our life, even through hard times. You know, I think of Jesus. He learned obedience through what he suffered. I mean, he had a life that God, his father purposed him to live. And I think it's true for us. You know, you and I were talking about Ephesians 2.10, for we're his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works or go through life, continuing to be focused on him in all of life, learning from him how he wants us to live every day. You know, a lot of that learning from him is learning through years of years in the past. And like you said, originally people that influence us and in, in, uh, influence our, our walk, even my parents, you know, who are Christians, the fact that I was growing up in a Christian home and came to Christ has had a profound impact, obviously still in my life. And, um, Marion's uh, guidance, teaching to me, uh, example to me during those years before she had Alzheimer's 
really set the stage for my life, even to this day until, until the day I die, including the work with the Medical Institute um, and her being a, an amazing prayer warrior for that whole work that we started back in 92. Um, you know, so we, we just, uh, and the fact that, for example, Bob Franklin, the, the infertility doc back at Baylor who influenced me so much, getting me into infertility work and then my seeing the impact of the sexually transmitted disease damage to my patients, pushing me into starting the medical institute to get out the scientific information about having multiple sexual partners and how it can destroy the elements of your future that you dreamed of that will never be reality because of behavior back then. And with our organization trying to say to young people, look, protect yourself now. Um, and really, it fits right into what Scripture tells us about sexuality anyway, doesn't it, Hal? It does. Joe, uh, I want to wrap this up, but let me wrap it up by making a comment. It, it does seem, as I mentioned before, that God has a plan for our lives. I really believe that. I mean, he had a plan for the Apostle Paul. He had a plan for the 12 disciples. He had a plan for Abraham when he got called out of Ur at the age of 75. He has a plan for us. And when we age, we have a we have the ability to look back and see that reality more. Would you would you agree with that? Or how does that make sense to you? That is so profound a statement. Uh, you're absolutely right. And I think that even at the age of 86 now, as I look back, I see how God has been leading in my life, even right up to the point. I'm still very, well, we'll talk about that uh, in our next segment, but I'm still very active, very involved because of all that's happened in the past to me and the mistakes I've made and the people that have helped me get over them, realize those were mistakes, but they haven't destroyed my life or my ministry. Uh, you know, there's, there's such a profound influence from our past on what, where we are right now. Joe, I'm grateful for your story. As you listen to this, our listeners out there, uh, we want to come back with a part two of this because I want you, our hearers, people, fellow pilgrims, disciples wanting to finish. Well, I want you to hear how God is working in Joe's life today at age 86. Joe, I can't believe the years just fly by. <laughs> for both of us. <laughs> but I, I want you to stay tuned for our next podcast. But Joe, it's an honor to have you on our podcast this morning. And as people have listened to your story, I'm very anxious to get into the next story. So it's an uh, honor to be your friend. Thank well, you. it's an honor to be yours. And so we want to bring this to a close. You can find all of our podcasts at finishingwellministries.org forward slash podcast and see the uh, issues we're addressing. And today's story is the first part of sharing Joe McElhaney's story. So, Joe, thanks. God bless you. And I'll see you again in the next podcast. <music>